Just cast every care that you have, every, every care that you may have brought with you this morning, just release it right now to the Father. Release it in the name of Jesus. Father, we recognize you as our source this morning in everything. That you give us breath, you give us life, that you are good, that you are above reproach. That you are faithful, you are kind, you are full of mercy. We draw near to you this morning, Father. We draw near to you in full confidence and expectation, Lord, that you do what you said and draw near to us. And we humble ourselves before you, Father. We check all pride at the door. Lord, we know that without you, we are nothing and can accomplish nothing. But Father, with you, as we take our stand in you, and as you fill us with your Spirit, that there is nothing we cannot do, Father, with you. Lord, we do not look at our own strength this morning, but we look firmly at you. We fix our gaze on you, Father. We believe that you exist. We believe that you're kind and good. We believe that you've brought salvation for all. And we believe that you reward those who diligently seek you, who earnestly reach out to you, Father. Father, you you had Jesus teach us to pray that your will would be done and your kingdom would come on the earth just like it is in heaven. So this morning, Father, we call your will, we call your kingdom, touching the earth right here this morning. That this is a place where the divine Spirit of God encounters humanity. Where your divine spirit, your divine will, your divine purpose, your destinies, your callings are released upon those this morning here. And Father, I pronounce your peace upon each person here. Your peace upon the mind. Your peace upon the body. And we fix firmly our eyes upon you. Our faith upon you. Whether our faith be great or small, Lord, we recognize that you are the one that completes it within us. That brings it to life within us. And I ask you specifically this morning that you would cause and fan up within us the faith you've already planted, that you would awaken within us the word you've given to us, that you would awaken within us the truth that we've already had and and grasped and taken a hold of, Lord, that you would open up our eyes and open up our ears to understand that now is the time. Today is the day of salvation, Father. We believe it completely. Someone say, now is the time. Why don't we just turn and, and pray pray over your neighbor to your left. Just, just bless them. Father, we just lift each person up to you right now. This individual, Lord, I ask that you absolutely encounter them today. <laughs> encounter them with your love, with your truth, Father. Reveal to them the, the value they hold to you. Father, the person to our right, 
we lift them up in the same way and we say your will be done in their life reveal your purpose and plan to them give them insight this morning in a way greater than they've experienced before say this morning like Mary did when the angel came to her and said you know you're going to have a child and she said be it unto me according to your word let's say that be it unto me Lord yes a surrendered willingness to allow the Lord to do what he would in you is what will absolutely rip heaven wide open for you Lord, we surrender to you. <laughs> yeah, we say we will go. <laughs> we will go, Father. We will go as you send us. We commit, Lord, to walk with you, in step with you, obedient to your prompting, willing to hear, willing to go. Lord, we ask that you send workers into the harvest, into this time and season. Lord, that this week will be a defining week for the church of the living Lord. That this week the church will rise up in power and in might with the revelation of Jesus, the Son of God. Someone say, send me, Lord. Good afternoon. Thank you everyone for coming. Uh, I have some prepared remarks. My name is Ben Elohim. I am the ambassador of King Jesus of the Royal Family of Heaven. At approximately 6 a.m. this morning, King Jesus summoned several members of the Royal Family to the throne room to address the COVID-19 virus currently affecting the earth. He was personally saddened by many of the events that have transpired. He wished to personally reassure everyone who has been going everywhere looking for all kinds of help. His Father's door is always open, and the entire resources of His kingdom are available for the asking. All it takes to be granted audience is to use the King's name. He also wanted to invite world leaders to Congress with Him and to discuss the situation. King Jesus also wanted to remind everyone that redemption is still in full effect. He wants to remind the entire royal family to treat each other with love and respect, and also to remind them to treat people who are not of royal blood with grace and mercy. Bring peace wherever you walk. He expects those of royal blood to act like it. He also wanted to refer people to his press release. Though lengthy, it does lay out his plan and provisions point by point. I will now take a few questions. Mr. Ambassador, Kent with The Daily. Go ahead, Kent. Many have speculated that COVID-19 is in fact orchestrated by King Jesus himself. How do you respond to that? The kingdom of heaven categorically denies all of those allegations and any such person saying such things is speaking falsely of the king. In fact, King Jesus addressed this again this morning and he said, and I quote, 
I am here that they might have life of a superior quality and quantity. It is the prince of the other kingdom who kills and destroys, end quote. He also said as much in his press release. I refer to John, subsection 10, point 10. Mr. Ambassador Parker with the Bugle. Go ahead. What surprised you most about your meeting this morning in the throne room? <laughs> That's an interesting question. I think the thing that surprised me most was those that were invited who didn't bother to show up. And of those who did show up, how many were surprised that the king was still on the throne? Mr. Ambassador Lane with the planet, did yes. the king give any instructions about how to handle all of the quarantines and medical advice being given? As he stated earlier in the press release, every member of the royal family should obey the laws of the land and that they are not, if they are not in direct conflict with the king's own law. And even when he visited the planet, he would take prudent steps such as not knowingly or wantingly going places where people wanted to kill him. So, yes. Ambassador, follow-up question. Yes. Is the royal family concerned over COVID-19? Concerned. Absolutely. At least as far as those who are not of royal blood. But as you know, for us personally, no, we are not the least bit, or at least we shouldn't be. As royals and ambassadors, we are not governed by the place that we are in, but where we are from. If you read the press release, our king makes it clear. The law of the spirit of life set forth in the anointed King Jesus has made us completely free from the law of sin and death. That's the law that gives COVID-19 its authority. Follow-up, Ambassador. Are you really saying that no member of the royal family can catch COVID-19? Well, Parker, as you know, the royal family is quite vast, and despite the king's best efforts, many have not read the king's press release, which also acts as our constitution. That being said, I suppose there could be, or probably are, some members of the royal family who are unaware that we have diplomatic immunity from COVID-19. Others, unfortunately, we, as we've seen in the news with Prince Harry and Meghan, they just want to be like everyone else. And they won't place any demand on their rights and privileges as a royal. You know, this brings up an important point. What the king is saying is this. He has personally fulfilled all the requirements for each member of the royal family to be free of the beggarly elements of your planet. So heaven stands ready to back your redemption. So much so that in fact King Jesus himself stands ready to advocate the case should anyone try to force any member of the royal family to live below the rights and privileges as a member of the royal family. And where that is concerned, all options are on the table, including military. I refer to you to the press release, Psalm subsection 91, subpoint 11. Simply put this, if any other government seeks to take any member of our family hostage or restrain them in the least, they had best remember that our king is a warrior king. Now, as we are given opportunity, the king wants to make clear that help is available to all people, not just to the royal family. However, our first priority is to the royal family, and it is only they that have full access to the rights and privileges put forth in the press release. Last question. Uh, Mr. Ambassador, seeker with the Inquirer, is the kingdom still allowing adoptions during this time? Adoptions to the royal family will remain in full effect during the entire duration of the crisis. 
Mr. Uh, Mr. Ambassador, quick follow-up. Yes. With adoptions remaining in effect, how soon after adoption can one make a request from the Royal Family Benefits Package? Uh, immediately after the adoption is complete. As soon as the adoption is complete, look, folks, <laughs> he literally died so that you could have all of these things. You should really read the press release. I've got to go. Thank you all for coming. If you have any desire to partake and be adopted, seek out a member of the royal family or one of our many embassies here on the earth. Thank you very much for your time. It's so good to have diplomatic immunity and be of royalty. We are ambassadors. Ambassadors of life, of peace, ambassadors of adoption, reconciliation. And there's no time like the present. Believers all around the world want to see the church be relevant again. Here's our opportunity. John, if you would, put Psalm 121 up on the screen in... Uh, Let's do it in the, the Holman is fine. Actually, let's do the New King James, Psalm 121, and let's read it together. The last two weeks we, we read together Psalm 91. This morning I would like to read together um, Psalm 121, 121. All right, you can look up at the screen and we'll read it together. I will lift up my eyes to the hills... From whence comes my help? My help comes from the Lord, who made heaven and earth. He will not allow your foot to be moved. He who keeps you will not slumber. Behold, he who keeps Israel shall never sleep. <laughs> Used to reading it in a different translation. The Lord is your keeper. The Lord is your shade at your right hand. The sun shall not strike you by day, nor the moon by night. The Lord shall preserve you from all evil. He shall preserve your soul. The Lord shall preserve your going out and your coming in from this time forth and even forevermore. There you have it. Glory to God. That's the doctor's orders and prescription for this week. He keeps your coming and your going. He preserves you forevermore. Forevermore. Our help doesn't come from the mountains, from our own efforts, from the doctors, from quarantines, none of those things. I'm not saying those things don't have their place. I'm saying, but that's not where our help comes from. Our help is divine because you're royal family. And you have access to the king. That's right. Did you all pack a lunch? Because our Ethiopian service uh, after us has been canceled this morning. Or they're doing a live stream so they're not going to be in the building. So man, we can just cut her loose and run. Now, here, here's the key. Here we are again. Here's the key. We're not going to go beyond what the Lord wants to do this morning. So if that's, if that's over in 10 minutes, it doesn't matter if we have the whole building available for the rest of forever. 
we'll be done in 10 minutes, right? So we're still going to keep our focus on him and on what he wants to do today. It's just nice that we also have length of time if we would need it. Yeah. Let's, let's um, you know what, let's pray for the Ethiopian service as well as for all the services this morning that are being live streamed. I don't know what that does to like the internet, what kind of strain it's putting on it this morning, but uh, we need it to work for all of them, right? So, so let's pray that way. Father, I thank you right now that we live in an age of technology and in an age where people can be reached all around the world and in their homes and the various places they are. And Father, I just ask that you would grant um, an anointing upon your word as it's taught and as it goes across the internet this morning that, that things would work right and well for those that are teaching and that their systems would work and that you give them the wisdom they need. To accomplish fully what you want done this morning. I thank you for it in Jesus' name. And amen. Have you been praying this week about this morning? Have you been expecting? Expecting that the Lord is going to encounter us. Let's go to 2 Peter chapter 1. And I had about... Well, I guess to be exact, probably two. We could divide it into two messages. I kept going back and forth. Lord, which one is it that you want me to teach this morning? Maybe because of our extra time, it's both of them. Uh, I really don't think so. I think there's probably some in each one that the Lord wants to bring together. And so I'm just going to do um, my best to stay sensitive to the Spirit of the Lord and and stay in step with Him, and you believe with me that the Lord is going to teach us some things this morning. Here in Second Peter, in verse 3, let's start in verse 2. It says, May grace and peace be multiplied to you, here's how it comes, through the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord, for His divine power. <clears throat> Someone say divine power. That's not human effort, is it? That's supernatural help. Supernatural power. His divine power has, that would be already accomplished. It's already been done, been given. His divine power has given us everything required for life and godliness. Everything required for life. Everything required for godlikeness. Everything required for you to walk like God. You know, we're to be imitators of Him. You know, when He created us and formed us, He made us into His image bearer or His, His image like His image to create like Him. That's what He put us here on the planet for. We know the story of Adam and Eve and how things did not go like God had designed it to go. And yet, we knew that God brought the solution all the way down through the years. And He sent Jesus, the only begotten, the only Son of God, into the world to live under the law, to fulfill the law, and to provide the access of relationship to the Father again. Restoration. Complete restoration to the Father. And this morning... 
Here in Second Peter, it tells us that He's given us everything required for life and godliness through the knowledge of Him who called us by His own glory and goodness. By these He has given us very great and precious promises so that through them you may share in the divine nature. That you may share in the divine nature. Not the physical, earthly, broken down, sickly, overcome nature, but the divine heavenly nature. That your will would be done on earth as it is in heaven, like Jesus taught us to pray. That His divine being living on the inside of us, His divine recreated Spirit that He puts into us, that divine nature that we can by that Spirit, accompanied by the Holy Spirit, access the very throne room of heaven. And have a conversation with Him. And this point, this single, this is the key. This relationship with Him is the key that allows us to stand as His ambassadors in the earth and speak on His behalf, speaking His Word, declaring with authority the rules of the kingdom. And the rules of the kingdom are the law of love, the law of life. That's the rules of the kingdom. The only law that pertains to you and I as born again, recreated beings is the law of love. All the others are fulfilled in that one law, the law of love. And if you'll walk and fulfill and and let the law of love in you and through you and out of you, you will see God everywhere you go. Showing up, encountering people, light transforming people from darkness into light. You know, the trouble with much of the church today, and and, and us included, is that too many times we have imprisoned the Spirit of the Lord inside of us and not allowed Him to get out through us. Because we're too natural-minded. We're too what we see here on this natural plane minded. We're too distracted to allow Him to let Him out. Don't hold the Lord prisoner on the inside of you. If you've been born again, then the Spirit of Christ lives on the inside of you. And if you've been born again, then the DNA of the Father is in you. However, what is coming out of you? Is it His life or is it just simply are you mirroring the natural realm that you live in? We started several weeks ago a series called Growing to Full Maturity. And that's where we're continuing this morning. It's it's important for us as believers, especially in this hour, to be mature believers. Sure, there's babies that are coming into the kingdom every day. Babies are a wonderful thing. We, We would never disparage a baby. Babies are precious, right? But we also know that babies are extremely limited in what they are able to accomplish. And so we're not called to be babies. We're called to be mature and to grow up in every way into Christ who is the head, the body. Let's go over to Ephesians chapter 4. So what I have to say to you this morning could be summed up with this, grow up. Grow up. You know, all of us, 
no matter our stage of development, need to be growing. Whether you're a baby, infant, or whether you are an elder, seasoned in the things of the Lord, we still want to grow. We need to grow. We must grow and expand in the things of the Lord. Because the opposite of growing is being dead. We certainly don't want to be there, right? And so let's look here in Ephesians chapter 4. In review, we're going to look down into verse 11. I'll begin reading. It's speaking of Jesus and how He had given gifts unto men, and these gifts were the fivefold ministry. It mentions them here in verse 11. It says, And He personally gave some to be apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, some pastors and teachers. Here's what the fivefold ministry's job is. To, to, to train the saints, that would be you. To train the believers, the saints, to do the work of the ministry. The work of serving. We've already talked about serving this morning. That it's the key to happiness. We, the fivefold ministry, are to train the saints to do the work of ministry, the work of serving. And here's what happens then. To build up the body of Christ. So as the saints are serving and ministering, it builds up the body of Christ until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of God's Son, growing into a mature man. Not growing into an infant. Growing into a mature man with a stature measured by Christ's fullness. He's the standard. He's the measure. Verse 14, then. Someone say then. So after the fivefold ministry has taught you how to do the work, and as you are doing the work and the body is built up and comes together in unity, then we will no longer be little children. Then we will no longer be little children, tossed by the waves, blown around by every wind of teaching, by human cunning with cleverness and the deceit techniques of deceit. But speaking the truth in love, let us grow. Someone say grow. Let us grow in every way into Him who is the head, Christ. <clears throat> the BBE translation says may we, that we may come to full growth in Him. The NLT says growing in every way more and more like Christ. The NIV says we will grow to become in every respect the mature body of Him who is the head that is Christ. The mature body of Christ. Don't let it be lost on you that Jesus did not begin His, His ministry of miracles in the earth until He was mature. Even Jesus had to mature. He had to grow. Scripture tells us that He grew and waxed strong in body and in spirit. He had to grow. Jesus' spirit was not at full maturity when He was born. The Word clearly tells us in several Scriptures that He had to grow in spirit. And it tells us He grew in spirit. Which means something was happening on the inside of Him that caused Him to mature. You and I's spirit must also grow. This is where maturity comes from. is from our spirit man on the inside. Maturity doesn't come by training the flesh to act a certain way. And just being flesh led. 
There's a lot of people that have, have disciplined their flesh to do amazing things. I mean, crazy things. Right? And their flesh is, it's amazing what the human body is capable of and what you can train it to do. But that's not where maturity comes from. That's just discipline in an area of their flesh. But true growth, true stature measured by the fullness of Christ is going to come from the inside out. And as the inside expands and grows, the outside is going to align and conform with that inside image. That's why in in 3 John it says that, Beloved, I wish above all things that you may prosper and be in health even as your soul prospers because it really comes from that prosperous place on the inside, that divine nature, that everything God has given us for life and godliness has already been deposited on the inside of us. It's been shed abroad in our hearts. It's been put in as seed form. As an infant, it must be matured. It must grow so that it, we can accomplish and walk in our calling and fulfill our destiny in this time. Let's read verse 16. From Him, the whole body, fitted and knit together by every supporting ligament, promotes the growth of the body for building up itself in love by the proper working of each individual part. You know, in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, I believe. Hold, let's hold our finger here because we're going to come back to it. 1 Corinthians chapter 12, in verse 13. For we were all baptized by one Spirit into one body. Then he starts naming some races. It doesn't matter what race you're from, he's saying. Whether you're Jew, which was the original chosen race, or Greek, or or any other race, is whether you're slave or you're free, we were made all made to drink of one Spirit. So the body is not one part, but many parts is the implication here. And if you'll look back, go down now to verse 27, he says, now you are the body of Christ and individual members of it. You are the body of Christ and individual members of it. Look around at each other and say, we are the body of Christ. This is really important for us to get a hold of this morning. That we stop looking at Jesus as only on the right hand of, of the Father sitting on the throne. He is there, believe me. He is the head of His body, the church. That you and I and the rest of believers on this planet are make up His body in the earth today. He started a ministry and work and you and I as individual working parts of His body are continuing the work that He started 2,000 years ago on this planet. And that is ministers of reconciliation. And we need to look to our right and look to our left and recognize, yep, there's a piece of Jesus. And we need to start valuing the person on our left and on our right as part of Jesus. And stop acting like they're the something else. I mean, come on, even if they're the heel of Jesus, they're still part of Jesus. And if you would read in 1 Corinthians 12, it says, you know, some of the parts we put underneath clothes because they're just not fit to be seen. And then other parts stick out and are visible for everyone to be seen, right? 
And that there's parts of honor and parts of dishonor, but it's all part of the same body. I mean, I don't care if it's my, (laughs) this morning, my little one up here dancing around, got a splinter in her toe from the hardwood floor. And so she's sitting there on on the chair crying. And so I went out and got a tweezers and and, and pulled it out, and everything is fine, right? My point is, is that one little member on her body, the toe, as soon as it got injured, it brought a screeching, literally, halt to whatever was going on for her. And the whole body now turned its attention to minister, to serve the one insignificant member that no one's looking at this morning, the toe. Because the toe carries an important function. And so, as all her attention is arrested and turned toward the toe, the Word says that this is how our body works. The body of Christ, I'm talking. That we're all individual parts of it. That we need to treat each other as more honorable than ourselves. Recognize that they are. That's the finger of Jesus over there. Over there is the earlobe. And so forth, right? Some of you need to smile. So, read verse 16 again here in Ephesians chapter 4. From Him the whole body, see we're talking about maturity, growing into maturity. The whole body is fitted and knit together by every supporting ligament. It promotes the growth of the body for building up itself in love by the proper working of each individual part. It's important that we take our place and that the part that I am, the part that you are, and the part that you are, that we are working in the function we're supposed to. To make so that we can accomplish what we've been put on the earth to do. We're talking about growing up. You know, there's different stages of of growth. As I said before, a baby is, well, a baby. Right? An infant is, is a wonderful thing. We rejoice at life when someone has a little baby and, and the joy that comes of new life, whether it be uh, in, in the natural realm or in the spiritual realm. The joy that comes at new life is amazing. When I see a brand new baby, you know, when, when I'm present and, and my babies are born, man, the tears want to come. And, and, but you know, when I'm present and a new baby and the spirit is born, the tears want to come. You know what happens in the natural realm, the, the thing from birth to being an elder, that is, is actually mimicking what's happening in the spiritual realm. It's just an expression, a mirror of what is taking place in the spiritual realm. There's all these stages of growth, you know, being an infant, being a child and, or a toddler and a child and adolescence and a teenager and an adult and an elder. And so each one of these have different characteristics that we know about them. You know, a baby is, they can't handle much, right? They're fussy. They think the world's all about them, right? They have no problem at all interrupting anything you're doing, like important things, like sleep, right? And being kind of demanding with things. This is a baby. We're all aware of this. But the same is true in the spiritual realm. Now, we're very accepting in the natural realm of a one-month-old behaving that way. We ought to be less accepting of a 15-year-old behaving that way. 
or a 20-year-old or a 40 or an 80-year-old behaving that way, right? And so we don't want to stay in that baby place, but we want to grow and mature so that we can fully accomplish and take our place in the body of Christ. Even a baby, we, this is just in review, even a baby is in Psalms 8-2, it says, out of the mouth of infants and nursing babies you have established strength on account of your adversaries. Strength. Praise. Jesus translated it or interpreted that scripture this way when he was at the temple and he saw the children and he, he made comment about it. He said, haven't you read from the mouths of infants and nursing babies you have created praise? So even if you are a spiritual baby this morning, there is value that you can bring. You can establish strength and praise. Let's go back to 1 Corinthians. Let's try chapter 2. Chapter 3 maybe. Yeah, chapter 3. 1 Corinthians chapter 3. Paul, he is writing to the Corinthian church. And the Corinthian church is an interesting group. I mean, they clearly have some issues that we can read as we read this letter. But we also see that they, the word says they came behind in no spiritual gift to anyone else. So the Spirit of the Lord is thriving in their midst. The gifts of the Spirit are operating there in their midst. And yet there are some troubles that Paul addresses in the letter to the Corinthian church. And in chapter 3, you'll see in verse 1, it says, Brothers, I was not able to speak to you as spiritual people, but as people of the flesh, as babes, babies in Christ. I was not able to speak to you as mature people, he's saying. But I had to talk to you like little bitty babies. Well, what happens if you try to feed a baby here, in the, here, here on, the, on the floor? What hap- would happen if we try to feed him a big bite of steak? I mean, it could be the best steak on the planet. Stick a big bite of steak in his mouth and what's going to happen? Right? And so, how about a spiritual baby? If you stick in a wonderful, juicy, smells amazing, I mean deep thing of the Lord into their mouth. Can't handle it. They're not equipped yet. They haven't matured to the place where they're able to take, digest, and use effectively that which the Lord would want to give to them. And so, that's not to say that, well, You know, we would never look at the little baby back here and say, well, shame on you, baby. You ought to be able to choose steak. No. We're going to give the baby what he's able to eat so that he can grow and mature. And the day is coming where he can enjoy the steak. And if you're a vegetarian, I don't know. I can't help you this morning. I like to tease them. So let's go on and read verse 2. It says, I fed you milk, not solid food, because you were not yet able to receive it. In fact, you are still not able because you are still fleshly. For since there is envy and strife among you, are you not fleshly and living like ordinary people? He was using envy and strife as a measure of how mature they were apparently. And he's saying, look, I've got things to tell you that I wasn't able to tell you and I still can't tell you because you guys are still babies and you're needing milk instead of solid food, the good stuff. 
And so if they were in that place today, we should not lift ourselves up in pride thinking, oh, we've grown beyond that and we're all stake people. We should humble ourselves and say, Lord, help us to grow, to take a hold of the that You want to show us. I'm convinced there's so much more that the Lord wants to show us, but here's the key. A baby doesn't realize they're just a baby. So for you and I to think, oh, but we've matured more than that, how would we know? What makes you and I think, oh, we've grown beyond the baby stage? And maybe there are areas in our life where we have matured more than other areas in our life. But I'm going to say something that may be hard to swallow. So get your teeth sharpened. I'm going to feed you a bit of steak. You cannot be more spiritually mature than you are fleshly. I know, that wasn't said very well. That's okay. um, you cannot claim spiritual maturity when you just go wigging out all fleshy. That's what I'm saying. You can't say, oh, well, I'm spiritually mature, but then when nobody's looking, man, just let the flesh out. You can't do that. Because you are, your flesh, if you are spirit-led, then you won't give in to the things of the flesh. You know, Galatians is real clear on this issue. It says, you know, if you don't want to fulfill the desires of the flesh, here's how you do it. You be spirit-led. You don't try to stifle the flesh. That's not how you win that war. You come to this side of it, and you be spirit-led, and from that place, you rule and reign, and the flesh comes into alignment. And But many in our soft culture today, because we are, I mean, the internet is full of amazingly funny memes right now. And, um, you know, there's the meme of how our great-grandparents and our grandparents, they saved the world by marching off to battle, and we saved the world by laying on the couch and watching TV and not going anywhere. But softness defines much of the culture we live in today. Comfiness. Comfort. Come on, that's another way of saying it. And we don't like to face the hard thing. We don't like to have to draw a hard line. We don't like when there are hard lines drawn. And that is evident in our how fleshly are we? How fleshly minded are we? How, I mean, let's judge ourselves, examine ourselves. Where are you at in this extra time that you have of sitting at home? Are you growing in the things of the Lord? Are you taking that time to develop things and grow spiritually and mature there? Or are we just yielding to comfort? If you want to watch something of value, I think it's of value. Several days ago we started um, the series called The Chosen as a Family. And we're only two into it so far. And um, it's happenings in Jesus' life that they are depicting. It's not the best acting. It's not the best TV. The camera's a little shaky. But man, I find it to be anointed. And it's interesting because, 
you know, they take a lot of liberties with the story and add details that just are not there in Scripture, right? So don't go watching it thinking that I'm going to find the line upon line teaching of the Bible. But they bring forth some truths out of the, the life of Jesus and His ministry to those around that we desperately need today in our culture. And so, um, talking about sitting and watching things, watch something worthwhile at least. Go watch The Chosen or something like it. Alright, Lord, where do you want to go? Babies. We were talking about babies. And some of the characteristics of a baby. We know some characteristics of toddlers and children. Characteristic of a child is they begin to think they're a lot bigger than they are, don't they? I'm big. Yes. As we look down, all the way down here. Yes, you are getting big. We don't discourage them and say, no, you're just little. What are you talking about? We would never treat a child that way, right? We encourage them and say, yeah, you're getting big and strong. And This is how we're going to treat each other as children in the Lord. Encourage each other. But you know also, what if you're a good parent, what you don't do? You don't let them just stay. At two years old, and three years old, and four years old. You continually are working on them to help them grow and mature to five years old, and then six, and then seven. And a mark of a child is they you know, will think that they're bigger than they are. They'll also talk about, this is funny, because all of our children have done it. Yours probably have too. When I was little, and they're three, you know. When I was little, yeah perspective and then they grow into adolescence adolescence means growing you can look it up and then teenagers and and a mark of it did you know that having an adult body does not make you an adult teenagers are evident of this and many adult bodies are evident of this and the interesting thing is that as a teenager look i know because i was one a teenager tends to think, not always, because some are wiser than I was, but many teenagers tend to think they know a whole lot more than they know. They have knowledge of how things work, but they don't have the experience to back up the knowledge, so they have an idea. They haven't done it yet, but they have an idea. So therefore, they begin to think they know a whole lot more than they know. And I remember as I was a teenager, man, my grandfather and some of the people around me just weren't very smart. But something happened between the time I was like 16 and 25, and my grandpa got a whole lot smarter. Isn't that weird? How he got so much smarter in just those couple years? You know, I don't know that he got much smarter at all, but this one here realized that I was just a lot dumber than I thought I was. And as you begin to taste life a little bit, you realize, oh, there's just so much. And I hear those that are experienced and, and elders saying, yeah, the more you know, the less we realize we know. Now that's the mark of maturity. Realizing there's so much. And then, of course, there's adulthood and elders. And elders, um, I want to, if you're an elder here this morning... You don't age in the Spirit. So in your spirit, you still be young and spry. And I'm going to look at like the oldest 
person in the room. <laughs> I was teasing him this week about being old, and so Gene had a birthday this this week. Celebrated another year of God's goodness. I know he looks pretty good for seventy-nine, doesn't he? All right, let's talk about the real you, the spirit man on the inside, the real you. So in order for the outside to behave maturely, it needs to come from a mature inside person. And in John 4, verse 24, tells us that God is a spirit. And those that worship Him must worship Him in spirit and in truth. So God is a spirit, and He longs for spirit beings, for fellowship with spirit beings, and the spirit beings worship Him. Now you and I are those spirit beings. And spirit is the word air, really. Breath. Air. You don't really see spirit. But if you do this, you can feel it. Right? You don't see air. You wave your hand back and forth, you can feel it. Go ahead and do it. Wave your hand real hard back and forth. Feel it? You're feeling something you can't see. Isn't that weird? I can feel a substance there. I can't grab a hold of it, but it's there. I can't see it. That's how the Spirit is. Your Spirit. It's a real, a substance, right? The Spirit of God. You don't see it. Jesus talked to Nicodemus that way in in John chapter 3. And He said to him, Nicodemus asked the question. Well, let's just go there. In in chapter 3, verse 1, there was a man from the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. This man came to him at night and said, Rabbi, we know that you have come from God as a teacher, for no one could perform these signs you do unless God were with him. Jesus replied, I assure you, unless someone is born again, born from above, born anew, he cannot see the kingdom of God. He says, how can anyone be born when he's old, Nicodemus asked him. Can he enter his mother's womb a second time and be born? Jesus answered, I assure you, unless someone is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. Whatever is born of the flesh is flesh, and whatever is born of the Spirit is spirit. Don't be amazed that I told you that you must be born again. The wind blows where it pleases and you hear its sound, but you don't know where it came from or where it's going. So it is with everyone that's born of the Spirit, like that air, right? It's a mystery. How can the Spirit of Christ live on the inside of you? In Colossians, it it calls it the, the mystery, down through the ages. That mystery is Christ in you. Christ in you, the hope of glory. 2 Corinthians 5.17 tells us that if anyone, therefore if anyone is in Christ, someone say in. If anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things have passed away. Look, all new things have come. It's talking about something happening on the inside of you. That spirit. Your spirit. In Galatians 2.20 says, I have been crucified with Christ and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I now live in the body, in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave Himself for me. So there is an outside part and there's an inside part. But it's not just two parts. There's three. There's the outside body that you see standing here this morning. 
There's the inside spirit man, but then there's also your soulish realm. And your soul is where your mind is, your will and your emotions, your personality. That's your soul. Your spirit is the breath God gave you. And being led by the spirit of God is how you walk and rule and reign in life. It gets expressed through the body. I'm going to go real fast here because I, I, I need to get somewhere before we... See, let, let's explain it this way. The Spirit, your body, your spirit... John, could you put uh, 1 Thessalonians 5.23 up? 1 Thessalonians 5.23. There's three parts. Body, soul, spirit. When you see a glove, if I had a glove this morning, or, or let's just use my suit jacket. Something is on the inside of this suit that is making this suit move around and walk around like a person. Looks like a person up here. Now, I can just go right ahead and take that off. It's nothing, right? It's nothing. However, we get so used to seeing this that we think this is the real deal. This disposable, decayable, temporary tent. Is what Scripture calls it. And we think that thing is the real thing. But it's really not. It's just an expression of the real thing that's on the inside of it. Like a glove. Take the hand out of the glove. The glove lays there and is nothing. Put the hand in the glove. The glove's now acting just like a hand. Looks like a hand. Operates like a hand. I mean, if you punch it, you'll hit the hand. But as soon as you pull the hand out of that glove, that glove is completely lifeless. That glove represents body. The hand inside it represents the spirit. Spirit out of the body, instantly it's lifeless. Pull the spirit out of, out of the body, instantly there's nothing there but decay. And so spirit, soul, and body, say it this way, you know, you are an eternal, you, you are a spirit. That is who you are. First and foremost, you are a spirit being. You are sitting here as a spirit being. You have been given a tent to live on the inside that's called your body, your flesh. And that, that flesh also has an eternal soul on the inside of it. And so those three parts, if you'll look up on the screen, 1 Thessalonians 5.23 says, Now may the God of peace Himself sanctify you completely. May your spirit, everyone say spirit, Soul and body. That's three parts. He's not repeating himself. He is clearly making a distinction between those three. Spirit, soul, body. Be kept sound and blameless for the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. So because you are first and foremost a spirit, when you die and your body is at the funeral home, we're not going to show up at the funeral home and go, oh, there lies so-and-so. We're gonna, if you were a believer, we're going to say, so-and-so is with the Lord, and here lies their old used-up carcass. And if you'll firmly grasp a hold of this, man, death will absolutely lose its sorrow with you. Because to live is Christ's service. To live is Christ continuing the work, the service. And to die is fearful and lost. No, 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 he says that's not right. To die is gain. 
to die is gain. How come dying is gain if that tent we used to live in turns to dust? Because that's not the real thing. It's not the real thing. In fact, you're going to get a new tent that's souped up and can do things that old tent couldn't do. It's not going to get wrinkles like the old tent. That's good news. You're not going to have some of the, the addictions the old tent had. Go through walls and doors. Could still eat food. You know, Jesus, His new tent, He was eating food. Walked through locked doors. Said, do you have anything to eat? They gave Him fish. Coffee, that's right. <laughs> Say, I'm a spirit. I have an eternal soul. I live in this body. John, could you put 2 Corinthians 4.16 up for us? And I'm going to read while he's going there out of 1 Peter chapter 3. 1 Peter 3, verses 3 and 4 if you're taking notes. This is some direction to husbands and wives. And he's talking to the wives right here. And he makes a statement. He says, your beauty should not consist of outward things like elaborate hairstyles and the wearing of gold. Um, some people like to use this to say that why women should not wear jewelry, but that's incorrect because if you just keep reading, it would also mean they can't wear clothes. Your, your, let, let me read it to you. Your beauty should not consist of outward things like elaborate hairstyles, the wearing of gold, or the putting on of clothes. So the point is that's not where your beauty ought to come from. Your beauty ought to come... See, that's just outward temporary things. The beauty is supposed to come from somewhere else. And he tells us, he says, instead it should consist of the hidden man of the heart. That's where the beauty is to come from. The, the, the spirit man on the inside. The inner man. In 2 Corinthians 4.16 says, Therefore we do not give up, even though our outer person is being destroyed, our inner person is being renewed day by day. He makes a distinction between the two. There's an outer person and there's an inner person. Friends, if we're going to mature into the things the Lord wants us to mature into so that we can grow into a full statue measured by Christ, we have to grow on the inside, that inner man. Ephesians 3.16 says, I pray that He may grant you according to the riches of His glory to be strengthened with power through His Spirit. Oh, that's nice. So we're going to become strong through His Spirit. Where does it happen at though? We're going to be strengthened with power in the inner man through His Spirit. In the inner man is where that strength is coming. There is where strength is in the inner man. So what does maturity look like for today? I'm glad you asked. Let's go to Romans chapter 8. What does maturity look like? And I'm, I'm preparing to close. I said preparing. That means we're not closing yet. So, Romans chapter 7, in order to understand... Romans 7 is probably one of the most misunderstood chapters in the book of Romans. And many people use Romans chapter 7 as an excuse for living and doing fleshly things. And they'll say, well, Paul even said, man, I do what I don't want to do, and I don't do what I want to do, and whoa, what a wretched man am I, you know, and I can identify with Paul, they say, and I'm like that too, and all these things. Well, to understand what he's saying, all you need to do is look up into verse 9 of chapter 7. 
And there, he, we've used this scripture to, to explain how children's spirits are alive to the Lord. See, children, just like you and I, they are first and foremost a spirit being. And a child is alive, his spirit is alive to the Lord, and they don't need to be born again yet until they reach the age of accountability where their understanding is opened, and now the knowledge of sin comes, and they die spiritually if they do not make Jesus the Lord of their life at that point. That's why when a child, if an accident or something happens that a child passes away, that's why we can be confident they went to heaven. Here, Paul made the statement, he said, once I was alive apart from the law, that would have been when he was a little baby, or when he was a child, before he had knowledge of the law. Once I was alive apart from the law, but when the commandment came, sin sprang to life and I died. Paul is not talking about physical death. He's talking about spiritual death because he was very much alive when he wrote this. And so Paul is saying, man, the consciousness of sin came and I died spiritually. I died. So now something had to happen inside of him. He needed to get born again. He needed to be saved. But in this died state that he was in before he was born again is all the rest of chapter 7. Saying, man, I did this, I don't want to. Yeah, in, in the law of my mind, I understand the law of God, but man, I'm not able to do what I, my mind is telling me to do. And he has this huge conflict on the inside of him because he has the law of God up here, but he's still operating in the law of the flesh. And finally, he sums it all up in verse 25. He says, or verse 24, he says, what a wretched man I am. Who will rescue me from this body of death? He asks the question. Let's see the next verse. It says, And he, here he answers it. He says, I thank God through Jesus Christ our Lord. Who's going to rescue me from this body of death? Jesus Christ our Lord. It's called the new birth. Where the new man, the old has passed away and that which is new has now come. He no longer operates by the law of sin and the law of death that came into the earth. The law of sin and death came into the earth at Adam and Eve, by the way, not at the law of Moses. The law of sin and death was when Adam and Eve sinned and then death entered. Now we had sin, we had death. The law of Moses simply worked to show people where, how far away they had gotten. And so because the law of Moses exposes the sin and the death, a lot of people point to the law of Moses and say that's the instrument of death. But the law of sin and death actually came much, much before Moses' law. And so here we see that in verse 24, what a wretched man am I? Who's going to rescue me from this death? And he answers it. He said, I thank God. It says, through Jesus Christ our Lord. That's who's going to rescue him. And in... Look at chapter 8, verse 1. Therefore, he says, meaning based on everything I just said, and now in this new born-again experience, Jesus Christ has rescued me. Here's why he makes the next statement. There is now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. Earlier in chapter 7, there's condemnation all over the place, isn't there? If you read it. But he's saying, now there is none because I'm in Christ Jesus. Some translations, you know, it says for those who walk after the Spirit, not after the flesh. Many scholars are divided on whether or not that was in the original manuscripts. It doesn't matter because down in verse 4 and 5, you'll find it there. 
That they that walk after the Spirit and not the flesh, they're not going to be condemned. But let's read verse 2. Here's where I've been working towards this morning. Um, Can you put it up in the New King James? For the law of the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus has made me free from the law of sin and death. Now chapter 7, and there's not much freedom in the last half of that chapter. It's a lot of bondage, a lot of slavery. Stop thinking that's the born-again believer's life. It's not. It might be a baby's life that doesn't know what he's been given, doesn't know the rights to the kingdom, doesn't know the benefit package to being adopted, doesn't know his royalty. But for you and I, we know. And here in verse 2 it says that the law of the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus has made me free from the law of sin and death. The law of the Spirit of life sets me free from the law of sin and death. There are two laws at work. And I ask the question, how does a mature Christian walk now, today, in this time? Rubber meet the road. In the coronavirus era. TP shortage era. How does a mature Christian operate? Here's how. The law of life. The law of life. It's the key. The law of life. The law of life has set me free from the law of sin and death. You know, John G. Lake, he ministered to a lot of people during the bubonic plague. And um, I was reading, uh, I had several, I don't know, a week or two ago, I had read about him a little bit online about this happening. And then I picked up one of my books yesterday and I was reading in my book and came across the story in my book. So I was going to bring my book along and read it to you. And I was able to do that because I forgot it. But I was able to find what I needed online. Thank God for the internet. John G. Lake's testimony during the bubonic plague. Now watch the action of the law of life. Before this, in his book, he talks about how fear causes you to absorb things around you. Fear makes you absorbent. Absorbent. To the thing that you fear. Here he says, faith belongs to the law of life. Faith is the very opposite of fear. Faith has the opposite effect in spirit and soul and body. Did you know that fear is a, a spirit being? Just like you're a spirit being, if there's fear present, it is a spirit being. I have not given them a spirit of fear, is what the Word says. So it identifies fear as a spirit being. I have not given them a spirit of fear, but of power, of love, and of a sound mind. Faith causes the spirit of man to become confident. It didn't say causes the flesh to become confident. He says it causes the spirit of man to become confident. And and what he's saying is the re-quoting of Scripture. And when your spirit man on the inside becomes confident, your flesh will follow suit. Your flesh is just being an expression of what's on the inside. It causes the mind of man to become restful and positive. There's scripture that says the mind that stayed on thee, he'll keep in perfect peace. Not partial peace, not maybe peace, perfect peace. A positive mind repels disease. Or let's say it a different way. A faith-filled mind repels disease. Say, well, wait a minute. I know people that were full of faith. They'd be Christians their whole life and they got a disease. 
Well, thank God there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And that the law of life will work for them too if they've not already passed away. I deal with things in my body. I'm walking out some things in faith in my body. Even now for the last uh, two months. And believing God for health and life in my body in an area. And you know, I'm receiving it. I've been making progress and, and believing the Lord on it. A positive mind repels disease. Consequently, the emanation of the Spirit destroys disease germs. And because we were in contact with the Spirit of life, we'll put that Scripture up on the board and keep it there, John, in uh, Romans 8.2. The Spirit of life. Because we were in contact with the Spirit of life, I and a little Dutch fellow with me went out and buried many of the people who had died from the bubonic plague. We went into the homes and carried them out, dug the graves and put them in. Sometimes we would put three or four in one grave. And in his book he made the comment, he said, you know, you could not have paid someone a thousand dollars. I mean, back then, maybe that'd be about like saying a million dollars now. But a crazy, you know, a very large sum of money, you couldn't have paid people to do this job because they just wanted, it was a death sentence to them. He says, we never took the disease. Why? He asks the question. Because the knowledge that the law of life in Christ Jesus protects us. That law was working. Because of the fact that a man, by that action of his will, puts himself purposely in contact with God, faith takes possession of his heart and the condition of his nature is changed from the inside out. That's what he's saying. Instead of being fearful, he is full of faith. Instead of being absorbent and drawing everything to himself, his spirit, his born-again spirit, repels sickness and disease. The spirit of Christ Jesus flows through the whole being and emanates through the hands, the heart, and from every pore of the body. You know, there's a reason why Jesus said that we will lay hands. Those that believe will lay hands on the sick and they will recover. He wants us to touch people, not social distance. Touch people. Because He wants to get over on them. And you're His body in the earth, and He can't do anything if His body's not working with Him. During that great plague that I mentioned, they sent a government ship with supplies and corps of doctors. One of the doctors sent for me and said, what have you been using to protect yourself? Our corps have this preventative and that which we use as protection, but we concluded that if a man could stay on the ground as you have and keep ministering to the sick and burying the dead, you must have a secret. What is it? I answered, brother, that is the law of the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus. I believe that just as long as I keep my soul in contact with the living God, now here's a key for you. How do you keep your soul, not talking spirit anymore, soul, his mind, the transforming of your mind. He has to keep his mind in contact with the Father. How do you do that? By being spirit-led. You hook into the spirit realm and you feed on the Word of God. You talk and have conversation with Him. You abide in Him. Jesus said, if you abide in, in Me and I'll abide in you and you can ask anything you want, it'll be done for you. Talk about serious law of life. 
He says, uh, what is the secret? I answered, brother, that is the law of the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus. I believe that just as long as I keep my soul in contact with the living God so that His Spirit is flowing into my soul and body, that no germ will ever attach itself to me for the Spirit of God will kill it. He asked, don't you think that you had better use our preventatives? I replied, no, but doctor, I think that you would like to experiment with me. If you will go over to one of these dead people and take the foam that comes out of their lungs after death and then put it under the microscope, you will see masses of living germs. You will find they are alive until a reasonable time after a man is dead. You can fill my hand with them and I will keep it under the microscope And instead of these germs remaining alive, they will die instantly. The law of the spirit of life. Now if it'll work for the bubonic plague, it'll work for the coronavirus. Or flu or whatever other sickness. Cancer or whatever. He goes on here, he says, they will die instantly. They tried it and found it was true. They questioned, what is that? I replied, that is the law of the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus. When a man's spirit and a man's body are filled with the blessed presence of God, it oozes out of the pores of your flesh and kills the germs. (laughs) Suppose, on the other hand, my soul had been under the law of death and I were in fear and darkness. The very opposite would have been the result. The result would have been that my body would have absorbed the germs These would have generated disease and I would have died. You who are sick, put yourself in contact with God's law of life. Read His Word with the view of enlightening your heart so that you will be able to look up with more confidence and believe Him. Pray that the Spirit of God will come into your soul, take possession of your body, and its power will make you well. That is the exercise of the law of the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus. And if you'll just keep reading, we're not going to take the time to do it. In Romans, in chapter 8, and you just keep reading and you keep seeing flesh-minded or spirit-minded. Flesh-minded or spirit-minded. One side is just life, 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 life. The other side is just death and decay and destruction and loss and fear. We have to go to one more Scripture before we close. Let's go to Hebrews chapter and we'll close there. Hebrews... Chapter 2, maybe. Yes. The Spirit of the Law of Life. The Law of the Spirit of Life. The Law of the Spirit of Life has set me free from the Law of Sin and Death. You need to just start saying that. The Law of the Spirit of Life in Christ Jesus has set me free from the Law of Sin and Death. And make this your meditation today. Just say it until it becomes alive on the inside of you. The Spirit, the law of the Spirit of life has set me free from the law of sin and death. You can see, more now than ever, right now, we the church, if we want to be relevant, we need to be laying hands on the sick and they will recover. If you want the church to be relevant in this day and age, in a day and age where sickness and, and calamity come upon people, if you present the answer and they see that the body of Christ in the earth has the answer, suddenly... Relevance is no longer an issue. Jesus said they will lay hands on the sick and they will recover. In James it says that 
If you're sick, call for the elders and they'll come and they'll anoint you with oil and pray the prayer of faith over you and you will recover. It's a promise, not a maybe, not a perhaps, not a possibly. Man, it's just a blanket promise. Yep, I've watched people die and go to be with Jesus. You know, they prayed and asked for healing and, and what looked like faith on the outside and yet they went home. And I'm telling you, going home is not a bad deal. To die is gain. Okay? So we can just lose that fear of death completely. It's been abolished. It's been set aside. And we don't have to yield to the fear of death. So you get to have one of two things. You either get to live and proclaim Christ and do it and glorify Him, or you get to just go be with Him. We win. We win. Either way, we win. In Hebrews 2, in verse 14, it says, Now since the children, he's talking about Jesus, okay? Uh, I mean, children is us, but he, he's comparing it to Jesus. Now since the children have flesh and blood in common, he also shared in these, so that through his death he might destroy the one holding the power of death, that is, the devil. You know, the devil does not, never did have the power to kill as he wants. The power of death isn't the ability to kill you. That's not what the power of death is. If the devil was able to just kill however he wanted to kill, you'd all be dead already. So it's not in his power. That alone will set you free. He doesn't have the power to kill me. He doesn't have the power to kill my children. How do I know? Because they're still here. He doesn't have the power. So the power of death it's referring to is not the ability to kill, it's something else. Verse 15 tells us what it is. Free those who were held in slavery all their lives by the fear of death. That is the power that death yields. The fear of it. Being afraid of it. And if you will understand that Jesus absolutely destroyed that fear by causing you to win... Either you go home to be with Him or you stay here and proclaim Him. Either way, you win. You don't have to fear the death anymore. Death completely lo loses its power over you. And man, suddenly you understand, oh, that's how I can take up snakes and they're not going to hurt. I can drink deadly things and it's not going to hurt me. I can go into the viper's den and bring out those that are being held captive. I mean, if you're new in this house, we're not talking about picking up snakes and, and, and playing with a snake. We're talking about demonic spirits. Because in Luke, chapter 11, I believe, is, is you'll find clarity on that, that he's talking about demonic spirits there. I also believe that he's talking about a physical snake if I needed to pick one up. That nothing shall by any means harm me. He has destroyed his power of death. That'd be the fear. So you and I are not held captive to it anymore. Alright, as, as we send you out, you're going to see on the table in the back a basket with money in it. And it's in the lobby in the back. And after everyone goes downstairs to our time of fellowship, you'll see it down there on the table downstairs. And what that basket is, right now it has like $850 in it, I believe. And it's an alms basket. And if you in this house, if you have need, 
You know, if you need food or you don't have money to put in your gas in your tank or your electric's ready to get shut off, if you need something, take from the basket what you need. If you have more than what you need, put something into the basket for those that need it. And you don't need to turn there. I'm just going to read to you Galatians 6.2. tells us, carry one another's burdens. In this way you will fulfill the law of Christ. What is the law of Christ? Love. In this time where there's a lot of uncertainty, you know, more than anything else, Jesus said, this is how everyone's going to know that you guys are my disciples when you have loved one for another, when you take care of each other. How did they in the book of Acts know that, man, these guys have been with Jesus? Because they were taking care of each other. And nobody had any need. So let's do that in this house. During this time, we're not relying on government stimulus plans or anything like that. We look to the Lord to be our source. We're not relying on the offering basket in the back to be our source. We rely on the Lord. And we recognize that, man, if if you're here and you've lost your work and you're in a bad way and you've got needs, there's no shame at all in in taking what you need from that basket. That's what it's for, is is to help you meet that need. And if you have extra, go ahead and and, uh, you can put it in there and be a blessing to someone. Father, we thank You so much that You made a way for us to be Your children. That we can call You Daddy, that we can call out to You and say, Daddy, (laughs) thank You that You're our help. Thank You that You're our strong tower. Thank You, Father, that You care for us and that You love us and that You place value on us. That You didn't leave us alone, that we're trying to bumble through in the dark, but... You gave us light and life. That You gave us Your Spirit to lead us on the inside. Thank You, Lord. We're overwhelmed with gratefulness for this, Father. And I ask You, Lord, that You would absolutely confirm Your Word in the people this week. Confirm Your Word that that as we go out and we lay hands on the sick, as we go out and, and we minister truth and deliverance, as we go out and act upon the law of life in Christ Jesus, That You would give us boldness to act upon it. That You would awaken within our hearts that confirmation of Your Spirit. That down payment, Your seal of the Holy Spirit, Lord. And that You would stretch out Your hand. That signs and wonders would be performed in the holy name of Jesus Christ, Your Son. I thank You for it, Father. I thank You that You've done this. I thank You for the miracles and the healings that happened this week. Thank You, Lord, that You set people free this week. Thank You, Father, that You cast out demons in the name of Jesus this week, Father. I thank You that this week, Lord, that deliverance comes everywhere we go. It belongs to us. It's ours. All right, Lord, I'll tell them. I have to tell you another story before we go. So, because this is how the Word works, and this is how it works for you. Back in about 2000 and probably 2009 somewhere, late 2009, at that point I, had, I used to have a hardwood flooring company and I had sold it, and Pastor Jay, um, it was his company and he was operating it and I was working for him. And we were working in this probably about a $25 million house, in Aspen, Colorado, and we were putting a Brazilian cherry floor into the house. And um, we had gotten to the point where we had installed everything, we had sanded and finished it, and he had this... um, Now, at this point, I had 15 years of experience in wood flooring. And so I 
um, had seen a lot of things in those 15 years. In our uh, area of Colorado, uh, I'm not ashamed to say I, I did the best job of any company out there. I mean, we were second to no one in the quality of work that we would do because we spared nothing to get it right. And so I had witnessed a lot of things. I had, I had 15 years of experience. And, and not only that, I had been trained by some guys that had been doing it their whole life. So I was able to draw on their experience. But, but Jay, he had um, read about this new thing that people were doing. And it was called water popping. And where you, you go in and you sand the floor, you get it completely ready for stain vacuumed everything's ready and then you come on it with like a damp mop and you just dampen the surface and it raises the grain of the wood because when you sand it it closes all the pores of the wood and so it raises the grain of the wood and makes it rough and it makes so that it'll suck up a lot more stain and the color will be deeper and richer and this is all the latest craze and rage and so he wanted us to water pop the floor. So that's what we did. We first time doing it, we water pop it. We come in, we stain the floor. Man, it just looks beautiful. It's like maybe 11 o'clock at night. We finish up, go back to our house. And, and the next morning we show up and we want to put on a coat of finish. And, but there's something really weird at just the oddest places on the floor. There's like these light marks, like, Almost like someone had taken a piece of chalk and done a, you know, a mark here and a mark there. and It's mostly uh, you know, maybe four or five, six feet away from the wall, but coming up to walls. and It's just this light, white-looking mark. You can feel it. There's nothing. You can't feel it with your hand, but it's a mark. It's something that I've never seen before. I have no experience with, with what that thing is. I mean, I draw and I rack my brain. I... I can come up with no answers. No, so everyone's looking at me because I'm the guy with the experience, right? And like, I don't know. I don't know how this happened. And, and the problem is, is not only do we need, we're under a major time crunch, with, as is the case with new construction. And if you're in that world, you understand it. There's other trades coming and schedules and all these things, right? So we have to fix the problem, number one. Number two, which can be difficult to try to fix a mark like that. The other difficult thing is we don't know how it got there, so what's going to keep it from happening again? And we just do this cycle repeatedly, endlessly. And so I walk over and I sit down on the step. And um, I'm at a loss. I say, I don't know. I don't know, Jay. And, and there were some other guys there that worked for us there. And, and not all of them were believers. They had been raised to be believers in, in homes that loved the Lord, but they weren't anymore. They're all standing there, and I said, you know, I don't know. But I said, James tells us that to anyone who lacks wisdom, that we can ask the Lord and that He will give us wisdom liberally. He won't find fault and that He'll tell us. So the only thing I know to do is let's pray and I'll ask Him, and He'll show us what happened. He'll show us how we can fix this. So I prayed, and I prayed just like that. I said, Lord, I also knew that in, in Mark, it says that if you, in Mark 11, like verse 24, it says if you believe that, that whatever you've asked for, if you believe you've received it, past tense, that you'll get whatever you've asked for. So before you get it, you're supposed to believe that you have it. That's what faith is. 
Believing you have it before you see it in the natural realm. So I sat there and I prayed that prayer and I said, Father, you said that when we need wisdom to ask you for wisdom and I'm asking you for wisdom, I'm asking you, Lord, to show me how it happened so we can keep it from happening again and how to fix it. Lord, I've exhausted all my natural thinking and, and resources and I don't know anymore. So, but I know that you know. You know exactly how it got there. You said that you would give wisdom liberally, which means it's, it's plenty. It's more than what I would need. You also said that if we believe that we've received it, that we'd have it. So Father, I thank you. Now, I have these unbelievers standing here watching me. So I said, Father, I thank you that you, I now know what happened. And in that moment, I decided I wasn't going to say anymore, I don't know what happened. I will only thank Him and say and declare, I know what happened. And I started saying, thank you, Lord. I know exactly what happened. I see exactly what happened. I felt foolish. In the natural man, I felt foolish because I didn't have a clue still. And they're looking at me like, really? You know now? You know? And on the inside, I know that the Lord keeps His promise. And He said that if we ask, He'd give it. So I just, I'm, I'm getting a hold of that. I'm not looking at the scratch anymore. I'm not looking at the thousands of dollars that are on the line here with our contractor. I'm not looking at any of the problem anymore. I'm not looking at Goliath. I'm looking at my answer. Lord, You are the answer. When David stood before Saul and he said, man, he said, the battle is the Lord's. He didn't say because I'm so good at fighting lions. He said, the Lord delivered the lion to me. The Lord delivered the bear to me. And He'll do it this time too. And so I'm just looking at the, 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 solu at the solution, the answer, right? And I'm saying, thank you, Lord. I see exactly what happened. You've shown me. I see it. You revealed it to me. I'm so glad you showed it to me. I'm so glad you've given me perfect knowledge of this situation. You're so kind. I appreciate it so much. And just like that, on the inside, I saw a vision. Just real quickly, I saw two leather knee pads by themselves. Weirdest thing I know. Going across the, the floor. As if someone was wearing them, but just the knee pads by themselves going across the hardwood floor. And I jumped up and I said, the leather knee pads. I said, Kendall, he was one of the guys working for us. I said, Kendall, you were wearing leather knee pads, weren't you? That wasn't unusual. He always wore them. He goes, yeah. I said, go get him. Bring him here. So he goes and gets them and look at it. And I inspect it. Sure enough, there's one that has a piece of like small gravel stuck into the leather. I said, what happened was as you were sanding along the walls and in the corners, you know, he would get down on his knee and he'd be working and then he'd, you know, get back and scrape your knee across the floor and it made those weird designs in all those places. And I got down. I said, here's exactly what you did. And I got down in front of the fireplace where there was a mark and showed where he would have worked in the corner and then scooted back, moved in the exact direction and it was just perfect with the movement. And he goes, ah, oh, that's what that is. And so, now it's like, alright, thank you Lord, you showed us how to keep it from happening again. Now we need to fix it. And the Lord gave us wisdom on how to do it, and we were able to fix every spot, blend it in, you could not tell it. My grandfather used to tell me that how good of a carpenter you are isn't. Whether you make a mistake or not, it's how well you cover them up. But see, the Lord helped us. He is the one who gave us the wisdom on what to do, how to do it, gave us the wisdom to see it. I told you that story to tell you this. 
this week, as you go out and as you are the body of Christ in the earth, expect wisdom to come to you on how to operate in the moment, how to answer the person that's asking you questions. Expect that man just boom on the inside. There it is. You know what to do and what you see and get on the inside. Be bold like a lion and follow it. And Jesus will be glorified. All right, love on one another as you go. We have a time of fellowship. Yes, we have, uh, we're going to share something. Yeah. Okay. yeah. Since all the kiddos are in here this week, I just there's something that God's been putting in my heart, and I was like, that's so dumb. Like, that's a kid's movie. What does that have anything to do? And something that you shared in the beginning about, you know, we need everybody looking around, remembering that Jesus is the head and that we are all the body. So... The churches that are not meeting, that are at home, you know, and when you just said that, I was like, this is it. We need every voice. So I'm going to invite the kids to come forward. I want to share something with you, and then I want to read something over you guys this week. So if you're normally downstairs or you're 18 and you want to come forward because you're a kid, it doesn't matter. Just come forward. I want to share something with you. You can sit. You can sit. You don't have to stand. All right. So this movie, God has been showing me a part of a movie in my mind lately and um, have any of you seen Horton Hears a Who? Yeah. Okay well this week um, I dressed up like one of a Dr. Seuss character and um, and this the scene of this movie just kept coming out and remember in that movie how Horton finds this flower and there's a small family there's like a whole community living on just this speck of a flower and at the end there's trouble coming and they need everybody's voice to yell to sh prove that they are here like this whole tiny little speck, you know, Horton believes in them. Horton believes it because he can hear them, but nobody else can hear. And he, Horton tells this community, we need you just yell, shout, be loud. We need every voice. And the mayor of Whoville gets everybody out. He finally convinces everybody, we need to do this. We need to use the voices that we have and shout and let people know that we are here. And um, so they're yelling, they're shouting, and it's still not working. They still can't hear it. And then the mayor of Whoville, Whoville realizes that there's one person who isn't using his voice, and it's his son. And so he goes and he gets him, and he ends up talking to his son, and his son yells as loud as he can, and he yells, Yup! amongst all the other voices. And it was the voice, the one voice, because all of them used their voices together that broke through and allowed people to hear them. So guys, your voices matter. When Pastor Sid is talking and your parents are gathering together and they're praying and they're declaring the word of God, your voices matter. And they need to be heard so that the world and the people around you know Jesus and that there is hope and there is peace and there is deliverance for all of them. I'm going to read First uh, Timothy 4.12 over you. Let no one despise your youth, but be an example. Do you guys know that you can be an example to your mom and dad? We learn so much from you guys. It says, be an example to the believers in word, in conduct, that means the things that you do, in love, in spirit, in faith, in purity, till I come. Give attention to reading, to exhortation, to doctrine, the things that you guys have been taught here in your church service through Pastor Sid. Do not neglect the gift that is in you. God put a gift in each one of you. And your mom and dad and your brothers and sisters and your neighbors, we need it. Which was given to you by prophecy with the laying on of the hands of the eldership. Meditate. Think about these things. 
give yourself entirely to them that your progress may be evident to all. Take heed to yourself and to the doctrine. Continue doing them. The things that your parents have taught you, the things that you've learned at church, continue to do them. For in doing this, because you guys are using the voice and the gift that's inside of you, you will save both yourself and those who hear you. We need your voices. So please use them. Good. Thank you, Alicia. And uh, we will send everyone to the mission field. Good morning, beautiful family of Church of the Word International here at Lancaster, Lancaster, Pennsylvania. We're so blessed to have each and every one of you here today. Jesus is in the house. Glory to God. I'd like to encourage you in the Word of God today. My voice shall thou hear in the morning. O Lord, in the morning will I direct my prayer unto you, and I will look up. Are you looking up? Hallelujah. But let all those that put their trust in you rejoice. Let them ever shout for joy. Glory to God. Shout for joy because thou defendest. You're being defended by the Lord himself. He is your defense. Let them also that love thy name be joyful in thee. For thou, Lord, will bless the righteous. Do you feel blessed today? Yes, with favor. Favor that will come past thee as a shield. Hallelujah. Let them praise his name in the dance and praise him with a tambourine and the harp. Let the saints be joyful in glory. Let them sing aloud upon their beds and in the church. Let the high praises of God be in their mouth as a two-edged sword in their hand. Your tongue is a two-edged sword. It's a, it's a spiritual weapon declaring the will of God here on the earth as it is in heaven. Hallelujah. Let us, as a family, look at this beautiful family. Look around. This is your beautiful family that God's connected you with. We're in the house of the Lord. You're a tabernacle, but we're in a house and assembly together here to praise and worship and give glory to our Lord and Savior and King, Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. Glory to God. Somebody say amen. Amen. In the name of Jesus, I declare that we are fear. We are free from fear in Jesus' name. That this spirit of fear we command to leave in Jesus' name. We are a fear-free, fear-free people of God, children of God who only fear the Lord. Who only fear the Lord. We are free of fear in Jesus' name. We command that spirit of fear to leave in Jesus' name. shared with me a few words that I'd like to share with all of you because it's, all, it's for all of you 
He says, my children, I hear your cries. I know your hearts and I am working on your behalf. Let my joy be your strength. Allow my light to outshine any fear in your heart. For where my light is, no darkness can shine or survive. I have defeated Satan. I am victorious and through me, you are victorious. Keep your eyes on me and allow me to fill you, protect you, guide you, and walk with you every minute of every day. Know that I am your way maker. Be bold and be strong and call on me for all your needs. I am the Lord your God that is with you. Well, good morning, church. Welcome to CWI. It's good to be with you all this morning. And I trust that the Lord has something special for us this morning. And turn in your Bibles to Jeremiah. Jeremiah chapter 17, verse 7 says, Blessed is the man who trusts in the Lord, whose trust is the Lord. He is like a tree planted by water that sends out its roots by the stream and does not fear when heat comes, for its leaves remain green. You know, heat is a form of pressure. You ever heard the term, when the heat is on, or pour on the coal, pour on the heat? So heat's a form of pressure. Now what's this saying? Saying when pressure comes to you, you will have the opportunity to fear. But you don't have to choose to yield to that. You can, you can choose to yield to something else. See, if you choose to yield to the fear in time of pressure, it reveals who or what you're trusting in. Because what does it say up there? It says, blessed is the man who trusts in the Lord. And he's like this tree that's planted by the water who's plugged into the source. I mean, it's got a root system going down deep. It's plugged into the source, and it doesn't fear. So that's revealing that there's no fear because I'm trusting in the Lord. All right? So where there is worry or fear, there is not trust or faith. Why is this plant still green? Or let's say it another way. This green plant is being provided for. Why? This green plant is being well supplied. Why? Because it's trust. And this is a, the symbolism here. Again, he's likening this green plant plugged into the source as the man whose trust is in the Lord. It does not cease to bear fruit. Let's keep on reading. It says, it's not anxious in the year of drought, for it does not cease to bear fruit. So this is saying that even in the midst of circumstances when everything around you is pressure, all the circumstances around you seems like, man, resources are, are gone. I mean, this is drought. Not a whole lot of source and supplied, or I should say not a whole lot of resources you might think. Other people are, are other trees are drying up. But this one, plugged into the source. So if you choose to put your trust in the Lord, you choose to put your confident expectation in the Lord, this is a promise of provision, being well supplied no matter what's going on around. You know, he is the way maker. We sang that song. Well, what is that? That's 
He's the Lord. He's the God that makes a way when it seems like there's no way. He makes a way when there is no way. So glory to God. All right, well, let's uh, take a hold of our tithe. Let's pray over it, and we're going to return that to the Lord. Father, we are so grateful to you this morning that you are the way maker, and we return our tithe joyfully this morning. We're thankful for your provision. We're thankful, Lord, that you are a God who provides well for us, that we are well supplied as we put our trust in you. And Lord, we trust you this morning, and we acknowledge you as provider and the source, and we thank you for it, Lord. We rest in that. In Jesus' name, and amen. And the ushers can pass the baskets. Today is our Mission Sunday, so be ready for that, that um, our pastor will receive that offering. Well, as you know, the last Sunday of every month is what we call our Missions Sunday, and we focus in particular in, in making investments into the kingdom of God around the world, not just here locally, but it can also include locally, right? It starts where you're at, and it ends at the uttermost part. So, and everywhere in between. And that's what we do on, uh, on our last Sunday of every month as we collectively, together, um, invest into different places. So any, any mission, any organization like that that you would like to invest in, just make out your check or your envelope that it make everything out to CWI, but 100% of it will go to them. So note on your envelope where you wanted it to go. If you don't make a notation on your envelope, then it'll go into our general mission fund here. If you make a note of a particular place you'd like it to go, we'll make sure it gets there. We have uh, a number of our, from the congregation here are going to be joining Troy, going to Ghana. So uh, there's lots of people that have uh, need there, right, as far as helping them reach Ghana and be able to minister there so you can make out... Um, Make out your checks to, or bless them in that way. Okay, you just do that through the church and we'll get it all to them. I wanted to read to you in John chapter 13. Real quickly before we move on here, but as you prepare your gift for the Lord, your investment into the kingdom... And John chapter 13, in the beginning part of the chapter, this is where Jesus washes his disciples' feet. Now, this is three years into the ministry of Jesus. He, the disciples know that he's their master, right? He's their leader. There's no question in their mind as to the rank of authority here. And so when Jesus goes and gets a towel and wraps it around himself and begins to wash their feet, some of them, understandably, have a problem with this. And they're like, no, 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 wait, Master. We should be washing your feet. And Jesus makes the curious statement, right? He says, well, if I don't wash you, you have no part with me. And Peter, I love his heart here. Man, he just instantly changes and wants a bath. He's like, well, if my feet are good, then all of me is good. Give me a shower, Lord. And the Lord said, no, the feet are good enough. And then he taught them a principle out of this. And, and this is what he said to them. Let's look down here in verse 12. When Jesus had washed their feet and put on His robe, He reclined again and said to them, Do you know what I have done for you? You call Me Teacher and Lord. This is well said, for I am. 
So if I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I have given you an example that you should do, not just know about. Did you catch that? Not just mental assent here, but that you should do just as I have done for you. There is nobody that is beneath you as far as service goes. We are to esteem everyone as better than ourselves, which means that we are open and willing and we serve anybody. He goes on and he says this, and this is where I wanted to teach as we look at giving or sowing finances into missions. Jesus said in verse 16, I assure you, a slave is not greater than his master, and a messenger is not greater than the one who sent him. Now this word messenger is the word apostle, same word. The apostle is not greater than the one who sent him. What does apostle mean? It means a sent one. That's what the word literally means. The one that's sent is not greater than the one who did the sending. And so this morning, there are those that are sent all around the world, starting locally here in in our local towns, missions here, but then there's missions all around the world and they've been sent there. And part of what we do in this house is send. And one of the ways we send is with finances, enabling them to be there and to minister there. And so while we often look at the missionary and go, oh, yay, how great are they? Don't forget, the one, they're not greater than the one who sent them. What I'm saying is you have a part in what is happening over there. And it's easy to disconnect from it because you don't see it in the natural with your own eyes. You're not there living and experiencing it. But don't lose sight that the Lord holds you accountable. Let's say it a different way. He credits to your account what is happening there. Because you have a part of it. A part in it. Right? So he says here, the, the apostle, the messenger, the sent one is not greater than the one who sent him. If you know these things, <laughs> you are blessed. It's the word happy. Did you know the way to happiness is serving others? Enabling others. If you want to be fulfilled and if you want to be happy, this is how you do it. You want the key to fulfillment, the key to happiness? key. I guess this is why. The key to happiness is serve one another. Bear one another's burdens. Put others as more valuable than yourself. Right here, Jesus said, is Jesus a liar? If you know these things, you... Now, know doesn't mean just mental assent. It means you've taken the key and you've opened the door and entered. You know it as in experiential no. Right? Experiential no. Doing it. If you do these things, you could say, you are blessed, you are happy if you do them, he goes on and says. So you know it by doing it. So take a hold of your offering this morning that you're presenting to the Lord. And let's, by faith, Sow it into the work that the Lord is doing in all these different places in the world and the people that we're sending, the people we've already sent and are continuing to support them. And let's put our faith that the Lord will absolutely 
do miracles and wonders and Jesus will be lifted up and glorified in those places and every point where these finances are going around the world Father we just ask you right now to encounter those places with your power that they would preach Jesus lifted up that all men around would see Jesus and glorify him as the Messiah the Son of God this is what we ask. Father, I ask you to stretch forth your hand and do signs and wonders. Confirm the preaching of your word. Lord, open up eyes. Give revelation and understanding. Father, give the, the ministers that are in those places, the people that are there, the, the messengers that are there, give them the word to speak, the word for the season of the time they're in in those locations, Lord. I thank you for it. I thank you that... You enable these finances to accomplish great things and to multiply just like you said they would. That as they go, they multiply and they grow and they bring forth a harvest of righteousness. And Lord, too, that it would enable those that did the sowing to do more as they go forward and as their vision is increased. I thank you for this in Jesus' name and amen. Where the ushers can... Uh, wait on the people, and the people will invest into the kingdom the key to happiness, to being blessed. And as a curiosity point, the key comes from, uh, it's sold as a, as a uh, original, it's a lie, it's not, it's, it's a replica, uh, in Turkey in a little shop, you know, somewhere along the road, and this is, we found this out in the field, no you didn't, you made it. But it's cool, right? It's a big old key. And I thought, I like that. I want it in my office. And this morning the Lord said, take it along. Okay. The key. You know, knowing something is not enough. Do it. We have to know it in our heart by doing it, not know about it.